Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you that we are safe in your arms, that we are, we are just secure in your presence as we worship you tonight uh, and come before you. Now, Lord, as we get in your word, we just ask that your word would just continue to transform us. Uh, that we would just continue to be uh, uh, more like you as we learn of who you are and all that you've done and all that you're doing and all that you're going to do, Lord. Give us the, uh, the ability to understand tonight. Give us revelation and give us the grace to apply it. Lord, help me. I pray your grace and anointing be upon me as I present your word. And Lord, again, give everyone the grace and the wisdom to live it out and to apply this word to their lives each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever worry about what people think about you? No? Okay, some people say no. For some people, it's yes. I know some people, I know, I know sometimes I do. I don't, I don't like it. I know it's wrong, but some of us, you know, yeah, I see some heads shaking. Yeah, some don't, and some do. Some are like, I don't care what nobody thinks about me, and that's good, but some people do. The Bible warns that we need to be, we, we need to, we need to be mindful of that. Maybe, let me give you some examples. What my coworkers think about my performance at work? What do my classmates think about me if you're in school of some sort? What does my church think about my Christianity? What do, my, what do other parents think about the way that my kids act? I know this is probably a more of a mom's thing. Not just moms. Some parents, like, you know, I'll be honest, like, I just thought about this while I was... I was thinking about it, you know, the message right, a little bit while I was worshiping. And, and, and it's true. I, I think it was last year. My son did something very boneheaded. Like the very first day of school, he did something. And when I found out later that day what he did, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, I can't believe he said that. You know, kind of. And I did. I was worried about what other people. They're going to be like, that's one of the pastor's kids. You know, I was worried about what people think about how my child acted that day. Maybe what do people think about what you wear, what you dry, or, or, or where you live? This was one that, that, that's more recently for me that happened. You ever talk to someone or get in a conversation or maybe an altercation with someone and you think it didn't go that well? Or you thought you maybe just said something stupid and you wonder what that person thinks about you now once you walk away? You know, you were like, feel like you were good with that person, but you just had one conversation and you walk away saying like, man, I was stupid. I can't believe I said that. You ever had that? Y'all laughing because obviously it happened to you before, right? Just like, man, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. And then you start for the next couple of hours or maybe a couple of days, you're worried like, what is that person thinking about me, right? Like I said, I know I have. Proverbs 29, 25, and, and other translations say it this way. This is probably the most common one that you've heard. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. That word snare is, is a trap with a noose. That's the definition of that word in the, in the text. It's a trap with a noose. So when we worry about what people think about us, it's like hanging ourselves, so to speak. How do we do this? Well, listen to this. Our actions are controlled or confined by the person who is feared. In other words, it don't mean fear like, oh, I think this guy's going to come beat me up or hurt me, but feared as in worried about what they think. Our actions are controlled or, listen, confined by the person with fear. Listen to this. We live from day to day allowing our emotions to swing based on what others think of us. Come on, somebody. 
We allow our emotions to swing one way or another. We get, we get worried, we get excited, we get happy, all based on how this person is thinking. We spend our lives foolishly trying to please the crowd and live for the approval of another person. There is tyranny and bondage in living for people's approval. Henry Swoop said this, he said, I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is try to please everybody. That's the formula for failure, trying to please everybody. So that's what that word snare means, basically. That's kind of unpacking that. Now let's look at trusting and safety. It says if we trust in the Lord, there's safety. Second part says that in verse 29. The word safety is from the Hebrew verb that means to be inaccessibly high or exalted. So in other words, if you trust in the Lord, he puts you in a place where nobody can touch you, right? Inaccessibly high or exalted is what that word means. Security in the Lord removes intimidation of people. Security in the Lord removes intimidation of people. So tonight I want to show you a few folks in the Bible that were worried about what people thought and then a couple of folks that didn't. So I'm going to give you two guys that did and a few guys uh, that didn't, okay? And I'm going to show you how this applies to our lives. First person I want to look at is the man we know as King Saul. I feel like I'm picking on Saul a lot, but Saul, King Saul, Israel's first king, had the fear of man. So in this story that I'm about to read from, a lot of y'all have heard in King Saul, uh, God had given him a command through the prophet Samuel to, uh, to annihilate all of, of, of Israel's enemies, which was the Amalekites. And he told them, go into battle and destroy everybody. Men, women, children, I know it sounds harsh, animals, kill everybody. Destroy everything because of what they had done. And so Saul and the Israelites made this campaign and they went and they destroyed pretty much everybody. But they, they spared the king and they spared some of the animals. They didn't, they didn't kill all the animals. So when Samuel confronted Saul, he tried to make excuses of why he did what he did and why he didn't follow it all out. And then finally he confessed to Samuel and he says, okay, yeah, I did do that. And listen, listen for his reasoning. And 1 Samuel 15, 24 and 25 says this. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed, disobeyed your instructions in the Lord's command for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. See, listen, worrying about what people think will cause us to be in a disobedience to the Lord. If, we, if we're caught up in worrying about what people think, if we're afraid of what people think or what they might do, they, that, that can cause us to disobey a direct command for the Lord. As I was preparing this, I, I was reminded of just recently, uh, uh, I, was, I was spending time with a pastor friend of mine, and uh, uh, he pastors a church um, uh, uh, down I-10 uh, I and I-90, about an hour and a half uh, away, and, and he was... Uh, he, he went to a Bible college that was a pretty conservative Bible college, uh, kind of kind of like a Baptist college, not quite Baptist, but, you know, just kind of a, a step, just more conservative, not as free in worship as we are. And so um, he pastored a church in Texas for a while, and then he came and pastors a church uh, now, like I said, um, here in Louisiana, in South Louisiana. And he was telling me just recently that... Uh, we, we actually went to his service, uh, his church service on Sunday, and he was telling me that he used to not be in free as worship as he was. So Sunday we were there, and man, he was on the front row worshiping and just, just praising the Lord. But he said, you know, Brandon, he said, there's a guy in my church 
that was actually the president of the Bible college that I went to. And he said, for the longest time, I felt like the Lord was telling me to lift my hands in worship. But he said, I was worried about what that man that sat right behind me would think. Because he was the president of the Bible college. Then finally one day, he said he was just talking to the guy. And he said, you know, brother, he said, you know, I've been wanting so bad to raise my hands in worship. But I haven't done it because I was worried about what you thought. I worried about what you say. And the guy told him, he said, listen, man, if the Lord's telling you to lift your hands and get free in worship, that's what you need to do. But listen, this is, this is, and he knew it and he tells it now, like I say, he's free in worship now, but he tells me that story. And so the Lord reminded me of that, like, here's a pastor at a church and the Lord specifically told him to lift his hands and to honor him that way, but he wasn't doing it. He was disobeying the Lord because of one man, because of what the man thought. And that's the key point though. He was so worried that this man, because he was the president of a Bible college, so obviously, you know, my pastor friend sat under him for years and learned under him as a Bible college. And so he was so concerned that he would maybe, you know, rebuke him or correct him. But all this time he was bound up and he was disobedient to the Lord. And when he finally told the man, the man said, man, if the Lord's telling you to do that, you need to, you need to do it. You need to get free. Amen. So uh, again, us worrying about what people think about us can, can cause us to get into disobedience to the Lord. And then disobedience can lead to consequences, right? 1 Samuel 15, 26, 29 says this, but Samuel replied, I will not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you as a king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold, back, hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else who is better than you. You see, the Lord put Saul in the position as king. Now the Lord was taking it away. Man, as I read that today, I was thinking, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want the Lord to take anything away that he's given me. Amen. Anything the Lord gives us is a good thing, right? The Bible says all good and perfect things come down from the Father of lights. Everything God gives us is good. I don't want God taking anything away from me. So it don't matter. I, I want to get free from what anybody thinks because, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to be at a loss. You know, remember, I thought about this. It says fearing people is a dangerous trap. I begin to think about, you know, some like wolves and I think coyotes, different animals. When they get caught in a trap, you've probably, I mean, most of y'all know this. When an animal, wild animal gets caught in a trap, some animals will actually chew their own leg off to get out of that trap, right? You've heard that. So I thought about that. Fearing man is, is like a dangerous trap. So you know what? What happens is we get caught up in that trap and we eventually can lose something. Like that animal will chew his own leg off. And they'll save their lives, but you know what? They're at a great loss. I don't want to have those kind of losses in my life because of worrying about what people think and getting caught in a trap that'll hold us, amen? And for other animals, they don't chew their leg off. They, they just stay there and die, right? I don't want those kind of grave consequences all because we're concerned about what another person thinks. I mean, I'm not overdoing it here. Proverbs says it's a dangerous trap. Matter of fact, that's the name of this message tonight. It's a dangerous trap. Amen? Amen. Number two, now we're going to look at, I was, so we're going to look at, you know, and I never saw this before. Uh, as I was reading my daily time the other day, the, the Lord showed me, I said, wow, wow, look at this. I mean, I saw it, but I never put it in this light. The blind man's parents, the blind man in the gospel of John, the blind man that got healed by Jesus, his parents were afraid of the Pharisees. You see, Jesus had just healed this blind man and the leaders were questioning him about the miracle. And after he answered them, 
They didn't believe him, so they went and they asked this blind man's parents. So we'll pick it up there in John chapter 9 and verse 18. It says this. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man. The man had been blind and could not see. So they called his parents. They asked them, is your son, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? His parents replied, we know he, this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he is old enough. Ask him. What was the reason they didn't answer him? They were afraid of what the leaders would say. Listen, they were afraid because the the, the Pharisees said that they would expel him from the the synagogue for saying Jesus was the Messiah. So if they said, hey, Jesus healed him, they would be, you know, they would be alluding to like this man must be the Messiah. You see, you got to understand something. In this day and age and in this culture and this time, being expelled from the synagogue was not like just getting kicked out of church. Like, oh, you just can't come to this church no more. It was a social thing. Like everything in, in that culture revolved around uh, Jewish worship in the synagogue. So for them, it was a social status. They were afraid of, of, of losing their social status pretty much. Like if they would have got expelled from the synagogue, basically the rest of the community would have shunned them. And that's why they wouldn't testify to, to the healing, Jesus' miracle. So as I begin to read this, I begin to think, because this man's parents were so worried about the Jewish leaders and their social status and the, the social consequences they would get, it kept them from fully rejoicing with their son and giving glory to God. I'm just thinking my own son. If my own son had something like that from birth, was blind, this was a full-grown man now, and he was miraculously healed, I, I would think I'd be going pretty crazy. How about you? I'd be running around like, who healed? Man, I, this guy over here, Jesus, this, I mean, I would be so rejoicing with my son, you can kick me off of the planet at this point, right? I'd be so excited, but not them. They were so bound up with the fear of man, they couldn't fully rejoice with their son that just received the miracle or give glory to God. They were like, I don't know, ask him. I'm pretty sure they probably knew. I'm pretty sure word got around that it was this Jesus that had healed him. But they were bound up with the fear of man. And it, 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 it cost them a trap. It cost them from rejoicing with their, their beloved son and giving full-on glory to God. So let me ask you a question. Are you worried about what other people think because it might cost you your social status? Especially when it comes to your Christianity. Are, are you worried about people hearing you pray when people are you know, discussing certain things or talking about going to certain movies and stuff that, you know, you know you're not going to go see, but do, it doesn't worry you that you might be the outcast at your job, that you might be the outcast at your place of business, at your school or in your family. You know, do, do you worry about that? Do you worry about, you know, uh, uh, th- these kind of things? You know, the fear of man is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord. Listen, you know, when it comes to, to giving God glory, we should not care what anybody thinks. And like I said, look, look, yeah, amen. You know, even like, like, like my pastor friend, even in church, I think sometimes, because listen, we've heard it. Listen, my wife and I have been in ministry, when we were in youth ministry, and we were youth pastors, and, and you know, we just, you know, had, 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 the, had the fire guy, I believe we still got the fire guy, but we had some leaders uh, over us that had been in ministry before us, and, and they, they, you know, they came against my wife and I. They actually, somebody told my wife, like, yeah, that, that fire you got, that's just going to die down. You'll see. You'll get over that. 
Basically, the way we were worshiping God and doing ministry, it, it was, it was, it was hyper-Christianity uh, to them. And it was like, no, I, I hope, not in an arrogant way, but we were like, I hope our fire never goes out. Matter of fact, I hope it burns brighter than it ever has. I hope it continues. So, you know, you got to be careful. Because even in the church, even people, fellow people in ministry will try to, will try to, to, to you know, get you, to quench your fire and will we'll get you to, and for us, it wasn't a social status, but it was like, you know, these were our friends. These were people that actually had, some of them had mentored us and had helped us along in ministry. And it was, it was hard. I know it was really hard on my wife and it was hard on me too, more because I was pretty upset with them. I was mad at them more than anything, you know, but it's just like, you know what? It don't matter if, if everybody, you know, don't do ministry or worship the way we worship. As for me and my house, this is how we going to worship the Lord. Amen. And it doesn't matter what, what anybody thinks. Or what anybody says, or what the social status, because the truth is, when I got saved, like most of us, the, the social club or clique that I ran with, that went down the drain. You know, most of those people, it, it, you know, I had a couple of core friends that are still, I'm believing for them to get saved, and they're still loyal friends, and I love them, and they love me, they respect where I'm at, but most of the, the social status I had, that thing got erased, it got deleted, amen, and I could care less, Amen. So whether it be in church, in the world, former friends, your family, you know, I'm not saying, you know, uh, you know, to, to, you know, shun them or nothing. But what I'm saying is that we should not worry about how other people think, especially when it comes to giving God glory and us serving God. Amen. All right. So now that we looked at a couple of people that had the, the that, that had the, the fear of man and were caught up in, in this stuff. Let's look at a couple of people. That didn't. Let's let's look at two, like I said, it did, and two that didn't. Let's look at the first man that didn't. It's kind of, you know, when you look through the Bible, when you look through First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, you, you always got kind of like Saul and David. I've preached a lot of message, but Saul and David is always like, you know, you know, the the good and the bad. Like you look at Saul and what not to do, and kind of David would too. Even though David wasn't perfect, he had his 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 hiccups. But David didn't care what others thought. Especially early on as a young man, he didn't care what other people thought. So this is a classic story. Even people that don't know the Lord know this story. This story is used. You know, I'm a football fan. I was talking to Brother Jim earlier, and, and our, our two teams are clashing this weekend in, in college football. And you hear this in the stories. Of, oh, man, it's like a David and Goliath type story. So a lot of people are familiar with this story. But, but I want to dig into it in the context of what we're talking about tonight. So you see, Goliath was coming out, was taunting the, the, the armies of Israel. And um, all of the Israelites were scared. Nobody wanted to fight him. And David was still a young man, was a shepherd boy. And David's dad was sending him to the battlefront uh, to go check on his brothers, would bring him food and stuff and to get a report. So one day when David was out there, he sees Goliath walking back and forth, taunting the armies of Israel, saying, you know, who wants to fight me? And was just spitting all kind of stuff out of, uh, about God and about the armies of Israel. So uh, uh David hears that King Saul made, gave a promise that, hey, listen, anybody that takes down this Philistine, this giant, they, I'm going to give them one of my wives in marriage and you ain't got to pay any taxes. How many of y'all would like that today? Like just the taxes part, like, you know, I'm going to stand up for the Lord and I'll be tax free. Praise God. You wouldn't worry about what people thought about you then if you knew you didn't have to pay taxes the rest of your life, right? But that was the situation. So, so David's there asking, hey, what did the king say? He's going to give what? To, to who, whoever takes down this Philistine. So we'll pick up the story there. As David's brother gets wind of this, 
Let, let, let's see what, what his brother says. 1 Samuel 17, 28. But when David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. What if David cared or believed what his brother had said in that moment? When he, just his little brother, this was the oldest brother now. So this is, I mean, they could have been, no telling, 20, 30 years apart. This was the oldest brother. And he's like, what are you doing here? You, you, where, where's those little sheep you, you, you're supposed to be tending to? I know you're just prideful and deceitful. What if, what if David cared? Basically, David told him that he was insignificant. What about those few sheep you're tending to? Not even, not even that he's tending to sheep. He even threw in those few little sheep. Like you're not even tending to a whole flock. You just got a couple little stragglers that daddy put you over. He also accused David of being prideful and deceitful. What if David cared about what his brother thought? Let me ask you another question. What if David believed what Saul had told him just a few lines later? So what did Saul say? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Later, David steps up to Goliath's challenge and decides, you know what? I'm going to go fight this pagan Philistine, this giant. 1 Samuel 17, 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, David replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's, a, he's been a man of war since his youth. He's like, it's impossible, David. There's no way. You're just a boy, and he's a warrior, stands like nine foot tall or something. You know, David may have never fought Goliath if he cared about what his brother or what Saul said. If he was worried about both his brother, and this is the king, so his older brother, probably almost like a father figure to him, and then King Saul, both these guys, you know, thought negative of him, said you're insignificant, you're full of pride and deceit, you're just a boy, there's no way you can possibly win. What if he cared about what they thought, and, 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 and he took that in and said, you know what, you're right, I am insignificant, I am a boy, I'm probably going to get scorched like a bug. He would have just went back home to his few sheep. We would have, there would have been ever a story of David and Goliath. But thankfully, David didn't have the fear of man. Amen? Listen, I want to, this is the application of this before we move on. Worrying about what people think and believing negative things they say about you, like you're insignificant or that you can't do it, will keep you from doing great things for the Lord. Let me say that again. If you listen to and believe people telling you you're insignificant or there's no way you can do that. It'll keep you from doing what God's called you to do. The, the great things God has called you and destined you to do. David was destined to take down this giant. And there wasn't no person that was going to stop him. He didn't care what anybody thought. I mean, his assignment was to go bring some food to his brother. Next thing you know, here we are. Let me stop and say this. For some of you in your life right now, the giant is worrying about what people think. That's your giant you're facing right now. Is that you're consumed with what people think. That's the giant facing you, uh, that's staring you down every day and comes out and taunts you. And says that you're insignificant and you never do nothing because you're always tied up in, oh, man, what do my husband think? What do my wife think? What do my coworkers? What is my brother? What is, you know, what is what's Pastor Ty going to think? What is what's Brandy going to think? What's Kelly going to think? What is, you know, so-and-so going to think, you know? And, 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 and we get so caught up in that. that. That may be your giant tonight. But let me move on. I'm not done with David in this point. But let me move on to the second part of it. We all know how this thing ends. 
But I love it. David did exactly what Proverbs 29, 25 says. He trusted in the Lord. And not only was he saved from this giant, he was victorious, right? I, I know we know the story, but man, I want to read it. I, every, even today reading the story, I mean, this is like, I love this story. 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David insisted, and I want to hone in on, on what he said. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Remember, Saul said, there's no way you can do it. He said, and when a lion or a bear comes to steal the lamb from me, I go after with a club and, and rescue the lamb from my mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. David was a bad dude. He might have been a boy. Have you ever seen any boy club lions and tigers and bears? Oh, my. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever heard a report on the news like 14-year-old boy clubs a lion to death? No. Like, but it wasn't just because David was, he's about to tell you why he did this. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. This last verse is the key. The Lord, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. See, he trusted in the Lord, right? It wasn't like, I'm calling him David a bad dude, but David wasn't like, I'm a bad man, you know? No, David was like, I can do these things because I trust that the Lord will help me, right? And we know how the story ends, but you know what? I wasn't sure if I was going to read it for time, but we got time, so let's finish it up. 1 Samuel 17, 45. So the Philistine comes out and they, they start their dialogue. David replied to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and spear? Because right before that, when they went out to fight, no, I'm going to just say that, uh, Goliath's response was like, what am I, a dog that you come at me with a stick? Because all David had was a sling of stone and a staff. So this guy had like, I mean, a coat of mail. He had a sword. He had a spear. And he had a whole other guy, just another man just to carry his shield. And David's like, got rocks and a stick. Let's get it, you know. And so this is, this is the dialogue. You come at me with a sword and a spear, David said. But I come, listen again. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. It wasn't about him. He was trusted in the Lord. Today, the Lord will conquer you. He's like, it ain't about these sticks and these stones. It's about the Lord and his power that's about to work through you. And I will kill you and cut off your head. I love his bonus. And then when I give the... Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Listen again. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Trusting in the Lord, there is safety, and there's also victory. Amen? Because as Goliath moved closer, I love this, David ran quickly to meet him. Goliath moved closer and David ran. I love that. He was, he was like ready to get after this giant. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking a stone out, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone, stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine only with a sling and a stone. And he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to cut off the head. Of the Philistine, cut off his head. Amen. Listen, people of God, you were created, called, and destined to be giant slayers, not people pleasers. Amen. We are called and destined to be giant slayers, not people pleasers. Man, get free from the fear of man and let's start taking down the Goliaths of our age. Amen. I love that story. You, 
I know that they probably teach it to children all the time, Sunday school, but this is something about it. I love it. But you notice David's reiteration of the Lord. He, again, Proverbs says, fear of man brings us there, but trusting in the Lord, there is safety. And then we see his victory. All his hope and his trust was in the Lord. He's like, listen, the Lord helped me with the lion and the bear. The Lord's going to help me with you. He knew, listen, God got me. God got this. And at the same time, he was brave and he was bold. And, and man, you know, so, so we are called to be the same way as David, right? Trust in the Lord. Don't fear men. Don't worry about, look, he didn't care what his brother said or what Saul said. He went out and in the, the power of God and trust in the Lord, he took down the giant. And the story goes on. After that, all, I'm sure all the people of Israel freaked out and was like, oh, man, wow, look, this kid just took down the giant. And then after that, the armies of Israel ran out. You know, after the boy defeats, the Lord defeats, the army runs out. They chase the Philistines. They defeat him. And it was a great victory that day. So, you know what? I just had this, this thought. See, when you get free of the fear of man and you become victorious, it can even help free other people up. It can bring victory to those around you. When they see your freedom and your bonus that you're trusting in the Lord, it's going to encourage them to trust in the Lord too. Amen? That's a freebie right there. Number four, and the, the, the fourth and final one, I always like to end with Jesus. Amen? Number four, Jesus didn't worry about other people's approval. He didn't worry about other people's approval. And we see it because in John 5.41, he's very clear, very plain. I didn't have to work hard for this point. Your approval means nothing to me, Jesus said. Jesus was having a dialogue with the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders, and, and they were arguing with him. And, and Jesus said, listen, your approval means nothing to me. They were calling him a drunkard and a glutton, saying he was demon-possessed. I mean, they were, you know, you think you got it bad. I mean, listen. The things that they called Jesus, to, I mean, even to the cross, to, I mean, the way they treated him, whipped him, spit upon him, all that stuff. And you know what? Jesus didn't care. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't worry about people's approval. Why didn't Jesus care about what people thought about him? Well, he tells us in the very next chapter, John 26, Jesus says this, For, the fa- for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. See, when you got the seal of God's approval, you don't need man's approval anymore. You don't need to worry about what people think. When God puts his seal of approval on you, that's all you need. Listen, you won't care what people think about you when you know what God thinks about you. Because the thing about this is, church, is that most of the time we worried about what people think. And really, probably 80% of the time, they really don't even think that. Or think bad, right? We're like worried about like, oh, they're saying this. They're probably thinking this. They're probably doing that. That hap- I mean, that happens to me often. And the next thing, I, you know, I mean, just today, just today I apologized to somebody about something. And when I, when I told him, he's like, oh, man, I didn't even hear you say that. I was like, really? I was like, all right, well, hey, I, the Bible says to keep a clear conscience before God and before man. So I just wanted to make sure, you know, but this whole time I thought I had, I had did something wrong just the way the situation went down. Uh, I thought I made a, a joke at the wrong time and, and, and you know, this person uh, got a little upset, but it's like, no, I didn't even hear you say that. So a lot of times when we're thinking, people are thinking, they're really not thinking. Does that make sense? So, you know, Jesus said, your approval means nothing to me. When we get God's approval, his stamp of approval, we don't, we don't need others. Listen, why worry about what imperfect people think? People are flawed, people are perfect. You, listen, because the truth is, is that I know there's things, I, I mess up all the time. I, 
Really, I, I have to ask people to forgive me quite often because I'm messing up. I got to ask my wife, my kids, my friends. I'm always like, man, I'm sorry. I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have did this. You know, but the truth is, even if I did everything right, there'd be some people that still wouldn't like me. Right? There'd still be some people that would not think highly of me or might think I can say the right thing at the right time and somebody can still take it the wrong way. Right? Right? Especially in the day and age of text messages. I don't know if y'all like this. You ever get a text or send a text and be like, why are they mad at me? And just like, and then I talk late. My wife's like, I was like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, why? It's like, what did you text me? You were kind of short. Like, yeah, my hands were full. I was cooking and I had a kid on my leg or something, you know? I was like, oh, okay, you know, sometimes, especially, right? Y'all ever do that? Like, you know, you te- are you texting somebody and you make sure to send them a little smile emoji or a little, like, you know, something funny to make sure, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just asking a question or, I'm, you know, right? Right? Because, but listen, we can do it all right. We can send, like, you know, smile and wink and kiss emojis all day long. And somebody still get offended. Why you only send me one emoji and not two? You know, it'd be something, you know what I mean, right? That'd be, you usually send me two or three, right? It, it'll, it'll be something, right? So listen, why worry about, we're all imperfect. We're all flawed, right? Am I in the right room? We're all, we're all flawed. We all got some issues, right? None of us are going to do it right all the time. And even if we did, so listen, instead of worrying about what imperfect people think of you, Find out what God thinks about you from his word. Well, how do I know? How do I find this out? I mean, this is not, but from your Bible. I have a Bible on here. In your Bible, if you have a paper Bible, you know, find out what God says. I just, for time's sake, I wrote down a few of them. You know, you're his beloved. Just like, you know, Jesus. You know why Jesus, you know, and we see it. Jesus had the stamp of God's approval because when he got baptized, couple of different, you know, again, we do baptisms as Jesus said the example. But Jesus got baptized, the Bible said, when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove, and the Father spoke to him and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. See, Jesus got that before he did anything else. So Jesus got that one word from his father, and after that, he was good to go. So it didn't matter if the rest of Israel called him a demon, a glutton, a drunkard, a thief, and all this kind of stuff, a fake, a liar, all this stuff. See, Jesus hung on to that thing, that, that, that one thing, and maybe not the one thing, but what we see as the main thing, that stamp of approval right when he got baptized, came down and says, this is my son. He, he claimed him as his own, and then he affirmed him as a father. And who am I? Well, please remember, Jesus didn't do one miracle, hadn't done anything. But that right there. That kept Jesus going his next three years of his ministry. And like I said, people, you know, hurled the, 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 the worst things at him verbally, physically with the cross, the beatings. I mean, all of this kind of stuff. So that's why we got to get in the word and, and get our stamp of approval, right? So again, he calls Jesus his beloved. Jesus was his son. We're sons in God. I believe we're his beloved as well, right? And there's scriptures all through that. I'm going to give you a couple of references. And they're up there and you can jot them down. We're not going to read them all so you can go back. But, you know, he loves you with an unconditional love. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute as we close. In Psalm 23.6, I love this. The New Living Translation says it like this. He says, this is, you know, although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this, that, that chapter. But in verse 6 in the New Living, he says that his unfailing love pursues us all the days of our lives. Listen. They, don't worry about what people think that aren't pursuing you. You're just a, maybe a passing thought or coworker or something. Our Father is pursuing us all the days of our life. 
Even when you mess up, even when you feel like you don't deserve love, even when you wouldn't love yourself, the Bible makes it clear that his goodness and unfailing, this is an unfailing, unconditional love. And listen, pursues us all the days of our life. I love the way the New Living says that. That's what God thinks of you. That's what he thinks of me. He's pursuing us with this unfailing love. In Psalm of Solomon, verses 4 and 9, it says that uh, we, we capture the heart of God and hold it hostage with just one glance of our eyes. You know, when you look at, as an analogy, I know this is, you can look at Song of Solomon both ways as a physical relationship between a man and a wife, but also people take this and you can look at it as the bride. You capture my heart, my treasure, my bride. We're the bride of Christ, right? You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes. Did you know that? That when you just, when you just turn your face real quick to, to acknowledge guys, he, he, God, he stops everything. The Bible says that, 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 that we, we capture his heart and we hold it hostage. That's how much the Lord, that's what he thinks about us. I mean, think about this. Think about it. This is the God who created everything, the galaxies, the cosmos, every bird, every, every single mosquito, he can number them all, right? But whenever we turn to go to God and to, to spend time with God, he stops everything and he's locked in on us. Amen? And he said that. And it's his heart. It's not that just like we're here like that. It's his heart. He loves us. so. That's what God thinks about you. And like I said, the, he's, he's God. So he can stop everything he's doing and be with everybody at the same time. Right? He can give everybody his full attention all at one time. Are you all tracking with me? Is this making sense? I don't know if you ever saw this scripture. But this, just to see that, you know what, man, God's infatuated with you. You might have grew up in a way in, in, a, in a church that you thought that, you know, or under a mom or a daddy that, you know, God's waiting for you to mess up so it can beat you over the head. That's not what those scriptures tell me. Right? Now, God don't overlook sin and all that. But as our children, I mean, I don't overlook my, my children's faults. They need to have discipline and they, they got to get spankings. But listen, there's nothing my kids won't do that can't when my little girls run up and say, Daddy, yes, love. <laughs> It, it don't matter how bad they've been all day. When I hear that, Daddy, I'm walking across campus today, two of my girls, Daddy, Daddy, I hear them, they're running to me. Man, I, I had my earplugs in, I, my earphones, them things are coming out, and I'm, you know, stop, shut it all down to hug my children. Amen? And God, God feels the same, even more, not the same way, I mean, infinitely more love and affection towards us. And you know what? I'm going to close with David again. David knew what God thought about him and how God felt about him. And this is the same way God thinks and feels about us. And it's from Psalm 139, verse 17. Because we've been thinking, all, the whole night's been about what people think about us. But listen, he said, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Why worry about what people think when the God of the universe is thinking about us all day long? And you know, when he's thinking about us, there ain't bad thoughts. If we are his children, if we are, and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up with that. If we are his children and we've accepted Christ and have come into his family. The, David said he had a revelation that your thoughts about me are so, and look. They're precious. How precious are your thoughts? So he's, David's not saying, they're not, they're not bad thoughts. They're precious thoughts, and they cannot be numbered. He said, even if I tried to count them, I couldn't, because they would outnumber the grains of sand. And, and, I, and I mean, that's a daily basis. That's what the Lord thinks of. And when I wake up, 
you are still with me. God is very present. He's with us, and he's always thinking about us. But you know what? You won't be able to understand how much the Lord truly loves you and what he thinks about you until you, you're in a relationship with him. You know, you may know that because I'm telling you tonight, you've maybe have read the Bible and read, oh, God loves me and God so loved the world. You may know that with head knowledge, but you can't truly experience that love from God until you become born again. You know, I used John 3.16 early in reference to God and conditional love. So I, I want to read it. I want to read John 3.16 and uh, 17. Matter of fact, I want to close with this. So if you go ahead and stand up with me, we'll close with this, with this scripture. John 3.16 in verse 17, this is out of the New Living Translation. It says this, For God so loved the world, or God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. That word love in the Greek, a lot of y'all know this, is, is agape love. And so what that love means, it's an unconditional love. It, it, it surpasses the love I have for my wife, the love I have for my children. It, it's, a, it's a, I mean, I want to love them with an agape love, you know, but, but God has, he, the Bible says God is love, right? So, I mean, he's the creator of love. So that love, he so loved the world with an unconditional, unfailing. And a lot of times we think like an unconditional love. And I, and I, and I do in that sense. So let me, let me use this as an example. Of course, I love my wife unconditionally. I love my children. I mean, there's times and, you know, this might shock you where, you know, I, I may be a little frustrated with my wife. Any married people out there can relate to that? Okay. My children, my wife raised her hand like, yep, I can relate to that. My children, again, I mean, I, I, there's times that my children frustrate me. They do something wrong. They disrespect me or their mother. And I have, to, but there's nothing unconditional. But listen, that word unconditional goes further when it comes to God's love for us. It's not just based on, okay, if we mess up, he's going to still love us. But that unconditional love means that God did everything he could possibly do just to be with us here on this earth and through eternity. And that's why it's in that, that verse John 3.16 is the Bible in a nutshell. And see, God so loved the world that he sent his son. He did everything. He, I like how some people said it. He bankrupted heaven because he loved us so much. He bankrupted heaven. He emptied heaven of the glorious king, his son, Jesus Christ, and sent him down here to be just like us. Again, to be ridiculed, to be spit upon to be cursed at, to be accused of all kind of things he never did, to be beaten, to be tortured, to be hung on a cross for hours, naked in shame. He did all of that because he loves me and you. That's agape love. And he even willingly turned his face away from his son for a period so he can be with you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, You maybe have never gotten the stamp of God's approval and it's because you're not in a relationship with him because you haven't been born again. You remember it said that, that, that God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He wasn't talking about saving the earth and the planet. He was talking about saving people. Are you saved? Has God, have you allowed God to save you yet? Tonight's your opportunity. You know, and, and listen, you... you 
as I give an invitation for you to, to get saved and to give your life to Christ, maybe you've heard the gospel before. Maybe you've heard myself or Pastor Kelly or Pastor Todd or Pastor Robert, somebody at another church or another place, a coworker, explain the gospel, talk to you about Jesus and the cross and how he paid the price for our sin because he loved us so much. Listen, we all sin. And even though I've been talking about God, how he loves us extravagantly, he's a just God too. And he doesn't overlook sin. And so we've sinned, we've broken God's laws, and we deserve to be punished. But again, God loves us so much that he sent his son to take us our place so he can be with us here on earth and forever and eternity. So you say, Brandon, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you don't mind, please, no one looking around, just out of respect for others and reverence for the Lord. If you say, Brandon, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know for sure that God loves me. I never experienced God's love in a tangible way because I don't think I've ever asked God to forgive me. I don't think I'm right with God. I don't think I'm saved. If that's you and you don't know where you would spend an eternity, just slip up your hand and say, Brandon, would you pray with me? I want to pray for you. I want you to be right with God. Every hand down, every, every hand down unless you want to give your life to Christ. If you say, I need to give my life to the Lord. Okay, I see your hand back here. Man, anybody else? See this lady right here? Young man right here? Praise God. Anybody else? I see you in the back there. Anybody else? I need to get right with God. I need to get right with the Lord. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. Amen. For those of you that raised your hand, the Bible says that if we repent of our sins, which means to confess them and turn away, and then we confess with our mouth, acknowledge God, and ask him to forgive us, that we will be saved. That's how you become saved. The Bible says, if you confess with your heart, and confess with your mind, believe in your heart that Jesus uh, uh, is Lord and raised from the dead, you will be saved. So all of you that raise your hand, and listen, as a church, we're going to pray this together. If you believe that, just pray the simple prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for loving me, for sending your son for me. Lord Jesus, I've sinned, and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I ask that you would cleanse me of my sin. Lord, I pray that you would save me today. I want to be born again. I want to be like you. Now, Lord Jesus, give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you, to honor you, to worship you. All the days of my life, I surrender to you. I make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Yes. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, for those of y'all that that raised your hand, there's a card in the pew right in front of you, and it said, I made a decision. If you do me a favor, if you fill that card out before you leave tonight and even drop it in the tithe box or come and and talk to me, I'd like to talk with you. If I haven't met you already, you can give it to me or one of the other pastors, uh, and we would just want to help you on this new journey and and welcome you to the family. And we believe that God, you're going to experience God's love in a great, mighty way. Amen? For the rest of us, before we dismiss, we're still early. For the rest of us, let's pray and ask the Lord to break any fear of man off of us. Amen. Maybe some of you, you don't deal with this, but I know there's a lot of us in here that do. And it might not be all the time, but it might be different times in life. Come on. Are you willing to pray that God will just break that fear? Listen, I believe it, it, it's, it's the enemy that comes in that, that messes with us. Because the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
but of power, love, and a silence. So if we have a fear of man, even if it's just worry, anxiety, concern, that's all wrapped up in fear. Come on, let's come against that and just break it off our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Father, I pray that you break the spirit of fear off of the church, the fear of man off of the church, off of your children, that we no longer are, are, are worried, concerned, are consumed with what people think about us, how they're acting towards us, or, 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 or what they're going to do to us. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to be fearful of what people think or worried about what people think but Lord we can trust in you and we know there's safety and trusting in you we don't want to fall into a dangerous trap Lord we want to be safe we want to be secure and like David we want to be successful and victorious Lord we want to be giant slayers Lord we want to live out our divine destiny so I pray for everyone that is dealing with, with, with the fear of man I pray you break it free them set them free and Lord God just impart in them your love your security, your power, your peace, your presence, and your blessing upon their life, Father. I thank you for them. I lift them up to you, and I entrust them into your hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless y'all. Y'all have a wonderful evening.